This is Addiction Medicine Journal Club. I'm Dr. Sonia Del Tredici. And I'm Dr. John Keenan. We believe that addiction is a disease that can be treated, and we want to help you stay up to date with the latest research that you can use in your addiction medicine practice. This week, we are going to be discussing an article about the effect that wine bottle and glass size has on alcohol consumption. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Sonia? Doing fine. My family were just recovering from Halloween and the sugar rush, but it's a beautiful fall day out there. Yeah, I think it rained here for us, so we ended up keeping more of the candy than giving it out, which is always kind of dangerous here. I'm sure your kids don't mind. Uh, I think I get into it more than them. John, any addiction medicine news you want to share with our audience this week? Not so much news, but you know, I had a patient that I was thinking about this week, and I'm not sure what your thoughts are. I have a guy that uh, he just kind of disappeared from treatment. He was kind of struggling a bit and he no shut on me several times in the office. And I remember reading an article before about, you know, physicians reaching out to patients that are kind of lost to follow up, kind of improves retention. And I called him out of the blue and he answered the phone. I think he was somewhat taken back by the call. But then he told me he was going to come into the office and he did come the next day to the office for the appointment. And I saw him outside my window and he just sat out there and then actually left. And I was, I was just very surprised by the whole situation. I wasn't sure what to make of it. And I don't know. It, it kind of made me feel sad that I thought that he was going to come back. And clearly he wanted to, but something kept him from doing that. Have you ever had something like that happen to you? That is sad. I've had the same situation with a patient who was really struggling and had come in for a visit after being absent for a while. And they just sat out on the bench in front of our office and then I, the nurses told me, okay, patient's there. I thought that's awesome. So excited. Really glad they came back. And then they never made it actually through the front door. So sat outside for a while and then just walked out again. So I guess not quite ready to make that step. And I have had patients who I've reached out to, you know, weeks or months even after not seeing them. And they are often somewhat startled to hear from me. I think they don't expect their doctor to call them. And then when I do, they then worry something's horribly wrong, like I've discovered some horrible disease that I need to tell them about. But I think people appreciate it, too. Yeah. How about you? Anything kind of new in addiction medicine on your side of the world? Well, no news, but I did want to share a few things with our listeners. So we presented this article on wine glass size to our live Addiction Medicine Journal Club last week. And in that journal club, we discussed some resources for patients who are dealing with unhealthy alcohol use. And a lot of people in our group, a lot of our colleagues hadn't heard of these resources. So I just wanted to share them with everybody. The first is something called Rethinking Drinking. Got a nice rhyme to it. And it's from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. It leads you through the question of whether or not your drinking is healthy, whether you should quit or cut down, and how to go about that. So that's great. And that's from, again, the NIAAA. The second is a little more intense. It's a program called Moderation Management. And again, you can get it online at moderation.org. And the program is used a lot by people who want to cut down, but not necessarily be abstinent from alcohol. It uses tools that you might find in a CBT or a mindfulness program, and it gets you to examine your relationship with alcohol and find a healthy way that it can fit into your life. You can do it totally on your own with a workbook that they publish. They have an app. Or you can even join a group, a moderation management support group, or you can find a therapist who uses the moderation management method to lead you through it. And finally, I do recommend Dry January. 
for people. So everyone knows dry January means you don't drink alcohol in January. But they actually have a program that starts with a 31-day abstinence challenge and then a lot of activities that you can do that look at your own relationship with alcohol. So if you go to the Dry January website, you'll see that it's a whole initiative and a whole program based out of the UK that helps you examine your relationship with alcohol. So John, when your patients seem like they're drinking too much, do you give them specific advice on how to cut down Do you just tell them to cut down and leave them to figure it out on their own? What do you do with people who maybe aren't ready to go 100% abstinent, but are just drinking more than is healthy? Yeah, I think that, you know, this comes up quite frequently, especially like in primary care, just talking about kind of at-risk drinking or risky drinking patterns. And people are often really resistant to the idea of kind of abstinence when they have an issue with kind of alcohol consumption. They're much more open to the idea of kind of moderating their drinking So I think you've talked about this moderation management before, and I have sent people some information about that in the past. Dry January is something that often I'll talk to people about, or or even if it's not January, just a 30-day abstinence period, sort of like a reset, I I kind of phrase it to them as. And we didn't cover this, that article in the podcast, but in the Live Journal Club, you know, we did cover kind of characteristics of, of dry January participants. And It is interesting. A lot of patients that do participate in that activity, they do have characteristics of kind of alcohol use disorder or risky drinking. Maybe they're just not yet ready to really kind of admit that, at least out loud, but they do kind of at least subconsciously associate their behavior with kind of a lack of of general wellness and health. So that's often a good entry point. And I do think that I've noticed that when people talk to me about that they're participating in dry January, it's something where I kind of pause and we kind of reassess what benefits they're trying to get out of that because they probably have some sort of relationship with alcohol where they feel like it's impacting their health. Not always, but oftentimes. That's a good point. I should remember to stop and pause whenever someone mentions they're doing dry January and say, yeah, what brought you to that? Were you having any kind of problems with alcohol? That's a really good point. I think I'll make sure to do that this winter when it comes up. Yeah, it's going to come up soon, right? I, I don't think anyone that drinks a glass of wine every three weeks is doing dry January, right? It's, it tends to be people that you know, excessive might already be in the, in the cards for them. Yeah, I think I ended up doing dry October by accident just by never drinking anything during the month. I'm a very intermittent drinker. Good for you. So let's talk about this article, John. Yes, yeah, so this article is a little different than one we normally do. This is kind of like we picked this one because I think it's kind of a fun article. It's basically the impact of wine bottle and glass size on wine consumption at home. It's a within and between household randomized controlled child. It's from Addiction from July 2022. So a little bit of background. As many of you know, reducing alcohol consumption at the population level would decrease the risk of a range of diseases, including many cancers, cardiovascular disease, and type 2 diabetes. Interventions that target aspects of the physical environment that cue unhealthy behaviors such as product affordability, product availability, and size have significant potential to affect the population level effects of alcohol consumption. In the UK, wine is the most commonly consumed alcoholic beverage. So that's what we're going to be talking about in this study. Most wine is consumed in the home environment, not outside of the house. Smaller portion and package sizes have previously been linked with decreased consumption of food and non-alcoholic drinks. So many of us see that now where like the king size candy bar has been rebranded as the shareable size or there's been some downsizing of products that are unhealthy to kind of limit or mitigate the amount of consumption that occurs. Previous randomized control crossover trials have illustrated a 4.5% reduction in wine consumption when decreasing household wine bottle size 
from a 75 centiliter or 750 ml size down to a novel 500 uh, ml size bottle. There is a more commercially available 37.5 centiliter or 375 milliliter wine bottle that's available. So the question is, this is already commercially available and something that we can distribute and use at the population level. Could that be effective? The size of glasses in which alcohol is served can influence the amount of alcohol consumed. Previously, they've seen studies where people drinking from larger glasses increase the volume of wine consumed by about 7.3%. A recent study also showed that when participants were asked to pour wine into three different size wine glasses, they statistically poured more wine into the larger glasses than the smaller glasses. So definitely some kind of placement of environmental objects changing behavior. So what's the clinical question in this trial? It's basically what's the impact of using smaller bottles? So 375 milliliters versus 750 milliliter bottles and smaller glasses versus larger glasses, so 290 mLs versus 370 mLs on consumption of wine in a home environment. What do you think about the question, Sonia? So definitely interesting. I just know from my own personal experience, I think I said before, I don't like to drink a lot of alcohol. I have very low tolerance, and I often choose a sort of small glass if I want to drink some because if I pour too much and then I drink the whole thing, I don't feel so great. So I definitely see for myself using a smaller glass leads to less drinking. And I kind of like this picture you have up of the mini wine bottle. It's very cute. Looks like it holds about two glasses. And uh, I definitely would use that wine bottle probably again because I drink less. But the bigger question is, what would this do for someone who has a sort of heavier drinking? And I think it's a great question to ask. Would switching to smaller wine glasses, smaller bottles really help someone limit their alcohol. So it'd be a great method. You know, it's something that you could really implement with patients. So yeah, I'm interested to hear what they found. So a little bit about the study. So basically, this is how they did it. The population, the inclusion criteria was households. And they were very open-minded and expansive about what they called a household. So it's basically any adult members living together. So any size that could be more than two adults living together, any composition, man, woman, It just had to be two people that drank alcohol living in a house together. They had to drink a minimum of two 750 ml wine bottles of wine a week and were in possession of a device that could transmit photographs of wine consumption. So basically a smartphone. They excluded patients or participants with serious mental illness, history of alcohol use disorder, history of hospitalization due to alcohol consumption, like an alcoholic pancreatitis admission, pregnant or planning to become pregnant during the study period. In this trial, they had 260 households in the United Kingdom were recruited via a research agency between November 2020 and August 2021. The study design was a randomized controlled trial of household members with crossover randomization to bottle size, the 375 versus the 750 ml size, and parallel randomization to glass size of 290 versus 350 ml glasses. So to give you a little idea of the procedure... So the procedure for recruitment went as follows. Recruited individuals received an instructional video explaining the study and a link to a baseline questionnaire on Qualtrics to assess eligibility and demographics. Participants were told the study was exploring the impact of bottle size and glass size on the experience of wine drinking. So it was meant to kind of mislead them into what the actual underlying idea of the study was to limit observer bias. Households were randomized to the first bottle size. 
So, and they were allowed to select wines of their choice at respective initial bottle size. So they were given a list of different wines that they could choose from. Some varied in cost, type of wine, and kind of like different grades of wine. So it's actually, I really like the supplement for this article because it was very expansive and almost looked like a wine catalog when you read it. And the amount of wine that they received initially was dependent upon the amount that they reported was their baseline consumption. So households received instructions to take photographs on day 7 and 14. In the photographs, they had to put a record label on the bottle of when it was opened and closed, list guests who drank from each bottle with an estimation of how much they drank per person, and report all non-study wine that was consumed during that period, so anything that wasn't distributed as part of the trial. All households received a parallel randomization, a set of wine glasses to the two different wine glass sizes, the 290 versus 350 ml wine glass size. On day 7 and 14, all participants sent pictures of the labeled wine bottles on a study scale and a picture of their glasses. They gave very detailed examples of how to take the picture so they could calculate and estimate the amount of wine that was left over or consumed per week. Participants then completed an online questionnaire with each set of pictures describing out-of-wine consumption and any mitigating factors affecting in-home consumption. So what was going on in their life? What could have affected how much they were consuming that time period? After day 14, two weeks in the trial, there was a washout period that occurred where basically the household was just allowed to kind of resume normal consumption patterns until they ran out of wine. So that initial wine that was distributed to them, once that was gone, that would then trigger the second period to start. Following the washout, a second online questionnaire was performed and the households were sent bottles of wine, crossing them over in the study to the effects of the other bottle size. So if you had the larger bottle, now you got the smaller bottle. If you had the smaller bottle, now you had the larger bottle. Your glass size stayed the same throughout the trial. The process was repeated and they did picture capture on day 7 and 14 with a post-phase 2 questionnaire that was repeated. Any questions on how they did the trial, Sonia? No, but this seems like a lot of work. How many families were in this trial again? When I looked at it, it was uh, 260 households. Oh, my gosh. That is that is a lot of work. And that's a lot of wine packaging and labeling and mailing and photographing. And yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. It was it was interesting how they did it. I really I really liked how they designed it. I thought that was kind of cool. So the main measures were the volume of study wine consumed in milliliters during each two-week intervention period for each bottle glass size combination. So they kind of did a mismatch of bottle size and wine glass size and how much you consumed in each of the periods. They did secondary outcomes on the mean time and days it took to consume each of the 1.5 liters of wine during each intervention period with bottle glass combinations. They did lots of covariate analysis, bottle size, glass size, bottle glass size interaction, order in which you received your bottles. So like a sequence effect, they called that. The intervention period, in-home consumption of non-study wine, uh, guest consumption of study wine, out-of-home consumption, number of wine drinkers per household, duration of, quote, usual behavior period, so the washout period to see how that affected things. They analyzed baseline consumption patterns, price per liter of ordered wine, thinking that people that order the cheaper wine might consume more wine. The people that get the more expensive stuff consume less wine. Awareness of study aim. So they did a post-study questionnaire to see whether or not you kind of guess the true intentions of the study. And the report of mitigating factors affecting wine consumption that was self-reported by the participants. Did a statistical analysis with a mixed effects regression analysis predicting total household wine consumption at 14 days from the study start date for each bottle condition and glass condition with covariate analysis. So pretty complicated and looked at lots of different features there. 
So the question is, is this a valid trial, kind of first of all? So the study was funded by the Wellcome Trust Research Fellowship in Society and Ethics, so kind of no industry bias there. Trial consisted of predominantly of white higher SES participants, which we'll talk about in the results, but that actually reflects kind of baseline demographics and wine consumption patterns in the UK. So I think the fact that it was skewed in that direction just represents the population, not a sampling error. It's a randomized controlled trial. You know, they did mislead the participants with this disclosure that uh, the study was uh, studying the effects of bottle and wine glass size on taste and consumption. However, 71% of the participants correctly guessed the true aim of the study. So it wasn't that blinded. At least they kind of figured it out as the study went on. I think 260 households is a pretty good size looking at different families. They had good follow-up. 217 of the 260 households completed the trial and had data on it. So that's 83%. There was concerns regarding unanticipated intervention and bottle size order effects. So basically, as people went on in the study longer, they drank less wine. And uh, depending upon which bottle you received first, you drank more or less wine. So that actually was significant. Although I think part of it they talk about is I think just to drink that much wine over a four-week period of time, it's just maybe some people just lost their taste for wine. There's also consumption of alcoholic beverages other than wine was not assessed. So, you know, they talk about as this trial went on further, there's less wine consumption. So was there compensation for reduction? Like people got tired of wine, so they switched to beer or mixed drinks. And this was done in a COVID world. So the, there's questions about, you know, since this was in-home wine consumption, was this generalizable to a post-pandemic world? What do you think, Sonia? Well, I think the trial was done well in terms of it being a randomized controlled trial and, you know, a a good clinical question. I worry, though, that it might not reflect real world consumption patterns, just because if people knew that the real point of the study was to see how much wine you drank, that definitely could affect consumption. I mean, if I'm eating or drinking and someone is watching me to see how much I eat or drink, it definitely makes me self-conscious and probably changes my eating patterns. And also, if people are in a study where they're supposed to be rating their wine drinking experience, maybe they would drink more. Like you had to go through the process of picking out what wine you want and it gets delivered and you maybe feel like you have to drink it because you're in this study and you have to report back on how it went. Maybe you would drink more. So I guess I just worry that it doesn't reflect exactly how people would consume wine outside of the study environment. I think these are all valid points. So what are the results? Just to give you a little bit of idea about the baseline demographics. So when you look at the households that they defined, the average number of adults in a household was 2.2. So predominantly two adult households. The mean age was 41.4. So kind of like younger middle-aged adults. They were all at relatively higher socioeconomic. So when you look at kind of household income, they were on the higher end. So that was very interesting. Most had a bachelor's degree or above, so 63.6%, and it was predominantly white, 90%. Now, they do say that these kind of numbers do kind of relatively reflect the wine drinking population of the UK. So just to kind of point that out is it doesn't seem like it's necessarily a source of bias, more like just reflection of the population that they're looking at. In terms of kind of the results overall, so as I said before, 217 out of 260 which is 83% of households completed the trial and were included in the primary analysis. The unadjusted difference between drinking from the smaller versus the larger bottle size was negative 59.2 mL. So if you drank from a smaller bottle, unadjusted, you drank on average almost 60 milliliters less wine. 
the unadjusted difference from drinking from a smaller versus larger glass was much larger with people drinking from a smaller glass on average drinking 260 mLs less than people drinking from a larger glass. After covariate adjustment for all those factors we talked about before, the smaller versus larger bottle size, people drank on average uh, 145.7 mLs less out of the smaller bottle size. And they did this kind of base factor analysis. And what they calculated here was a base factor of two, which means kind of like anecdotal support. If a base factor is greater than three or less than one third, it's considered uh, substantial evidence of effect of this event occurring in this situation with this factor being present. So the bottle size really kind of didn't really come out to be that strong in terms of support. After covariate analysis adjustment for drinking of the smaller versus larger wine glasses, it was less than 253.3 mLs less consumed during the study period, intervention period for the smaller glasses versus the larger glasses. And, you know, this was a base factor of 2.96. So this just barely misses the criteria for being a substantial evidence of effect of the glass being associated with an environment that would produce these effects moving forward. So... To kind of summarize that up, smaller versus larger bottle has a modest or mild effect. Much larger effect appears to be in the smaller versus larger glasses. Both of them really don't kind of hit statistical significance to be something that you can say 100%, but certainly it looks that way based upon the, the, the bias factor. So these differences are over the full two-week trial period or the full, the two 14-day periods? These were over the, the whole trial period. Right. So when you say that, it's it's sort of less impressive, right? The smaller versus larger glasses over a four week period with wine drinkers, they drank 260 milliliters less over a four week period. And that's less than like a can of Coke, right? That's like a glass and a half of it's wine. Like, it's like a glass of wine. Yeah. I mean, it, now that being said, like, you know, it was two bottles of wine was kind of the intervention period effect. So like, you know, you can look at it from that regards to you know, four glasses of wine and a bottle. It's about, you know, a one eighth reduction if you drank the minimum in the study period. Right. Although I think some people didn't drink the minimum. So, yeah, it's, right. it's one of these things where you see a small difference, but I'm just not sure it's clinically significant. I mean, I know that the health effects from alcohol rise with every drink. And so I guess if you cut out one glass every two weeks or one glass a month, you might see a health benefit even from that. But it doesn't seem like a huge difference to me. Yeah, I agree. I think it's looking at this as really like you're looking, you're taking your microscope and you're putting it down from like, you know, 200 magnification down to five. Like you're looking at the population as a whole and seeing like as a society, how much consumption would decrease is I think what they're trying to insinuate when they kind of were looking at this kind of effect. A couple other things that were interesting that came up, there was this called this intervention period effect where households all drank less during the second study period. And that was actually highly statistically significant. So on average, uh, households drank during the second period of time 358.2 mLs less of wine during the second 14-day period of time. So there really was kind of like a burnout of consumption as this trial went further. There was also a bottle size order effect, which was also uh, significant, where households drinking from the larger bottle of wine first drank less wine during the study period. They drank 303 mLs less than the people that drank from the smaller bottle first. 
They did have statistically significant effects on consumption on some of the covariants, most notably like higher baseline wine consumption clearly had higher rates of consumption throughout the trial. Households that reported drinking wine outside of the home had had higher rates of consumption and households that had a longer, quote, usual behavior period, they had lower rates of consumption. So if it took you longer to finish your two bottles of wine, the minimum from the first part of the study period, clearly you didn't drink as much statistically throughout the trial. What do you think of all that, Sonia? And what do you think of the trial at all in general after kind of hearing about, you know, the how it was done and then also kind of what the results were? I mean, I definitely liked it. It was fun to read, fun to think about and read what they found. I'm not sure about those that second set of results about why the getting the bigger wine bottle initially led to less consumption, why people drank less during the second study period. Like you said, they maybe just got sick of the study process. Again, seemed like a lot of work. So maybe they just got tired of dealing with it. And I, I admit there was less wine drunk in the smaller bottles and the smaller glasses. So I think I could use these conclusions. I think this is like a, I don't know. I don't know if it's like practice changing for me, but it's sort of like one of those little maybe pearls that I that you have. Like I, you know, I have that for weight loss and you know, people that count their calories. They, they, on average, kind of are twice as successful at losing weight. So these little like tips and tricks that, you know, might be cumulative, certainly not the only intervention you know, as, as a primary care doctor, basically, you know, at, will these results help me in my patient care? You know, as a primary care doctor, this comes up all the time where people with or without substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder, they ask me for guidance about ways to limit unhealthy drinking. And many patients, they don't really desire for the classic treatments. They don't really want to go an absence only approach. They don't want to do counseling. They don't want to do kind of behavioral therapy. They don't want medications. They kind of want to talk about other ways that they can kind of improve the relationship with alcohol. I certainly think that decreasing glass size and bottle size is certainly a very inexpensive and pretty much harm-free intervention that may have an effect on consumption patterns. So it might be something I offered to them, you know, just like I, I tell some people, well, this weekend, if you, know, if you drink 12 beers on Friday night, maybe you go out to the store this weekend and you just get a 12 pack for the whole weekend, or maybe you get a six pack. And, you know, I think that can be a way of possibly limiting consumption. So it kind of fits with some of the other stuff we already do. I'll put a link in the show notes to a handout from the a place called the Harm Reduction Research and Treatment Center. And they have suggestions for how to drink less, how to drink safely. And one of them is they put less is more. And they don't put on their handout that you should try a smaller glass, a smaller bottle, you know, a smaller can of beer versus a larger can of beer. But I definitely would include using a small glass in my harm reduction counseling for people who want to drink less. And, you know, just like you said, buying a small bottle instead of buying a 750 milliliter bottle, you buy a 500 milliliter bottle and that's all you have for the evening just to limit your own consumption that way. So I think I might use this, like you said, a pearl, a clinical pearl for people. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the article, Sonia? No, I think you did a great job, though. Thank you for sharing it with our audience and for explaining it to me. And thank you, everyone for listening to the Addiction Medicine Journal Club. The best part of any journal club is the conversation and we want to hear what you have to say. To have your opinions about the articles included in a future episode, you can email us at addictionmedicinejournalclub at gmail.com 
or talk to us on Twitter or Facebook at AddictionMedJC. You can also join our Facebook group and discuss the articles there. Our original theme music was composed and performed by Benjamin Kennedy, audio editing by Angela Olfest. Addiction Medicine Journal Club is intended for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. The views expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect those of our employers or the authors of the articles we review. All patient information has been modified to protect their identities. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Have a great day. Thank you.